There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, big interview listeners. This is producer Martin here. You're about to listen to Kevin Phillips deconstruct his transition from player to coach and the challenges he faced dealing with a certain Jamie Vardy. Good lad, enthusiastic, lunatic. Kevin's words, not ours. If you want to hear the full 90 minutes plus extra time of Kevin Phillips, it's time to become a big interview socio. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. When I was being taught the most I've probably learned as a journalist, it was probably in the four years that Guardiola was at Barcelona because I was we were given access and the, the players would talk. And also, it was a fierce, hot environment. If you didn't learn something there as a journalist, then yeah. you shouldn't have been in the game. So I watched him closely and I watched him at the end of last season because people have high expectations of him at City. And I tried to see if I can understand, because I'm not living in the same city as anymore, so I try to understand mm-hmm. a lot from the long chunks of press conferences you get that are unedited. And he doesn't always like answering the questions that he's given in any country. He likes to talk about pure football. And I thought he was really revealing in May when he said, he was asked about which academy players were going to break through. Because this, there's this desire that if you've got Guardiola, there'll be a magic wand, that there'll be, yeah. there'll be a Xavi or an Iniesta or a Messi coming through, even though their development was nothing to do with him. Right. Their coronation was to do with him yeah. once he inherited yeah, yeah. them as a coach. Yeah, yeah. And he said really clearly, he said, they're, they're, uncom- they're talented, but they're uncompetitive. Right. Because the, the league that they're in, he said, there's no crowd it doesn't matter if they win or lose. Yeah. Their talent lies there, but they're not. The gap between what they are and what they need to be to be in my first team is too big. So he's yeah. he's criticising that equivalent of the apprentice system. Mm-hmm. Now we talked at huge length about this with Damien Duff and about how he was treated at, at Blackburn and how brutally tough it was. And we were quoting what Gary Neville and Phil Neville had said about life as the class of 92 at Manchester United, which is famously tough. Mm. Have we got things wrong? You know, if I go back to you cleaning boots at Southampton and being told, I presumably to clean the terraces, mm. clean the showers, I don't know what else, possibly being bullied. Certainly Damien was hard on the, you know, things happened to me that I now know are worthwhile, but you'd be put in jail. Oh, that, yeah. Those are his. Yeah, that happened to me. That happened to me under Dave Merritt and his apprentice. And you're right, you know, at times you didn't say anything. But it stood you in good stead. Well, it certainly stood me in good stead for, for where I am now. And you're right, you couldn't get away with the sort of stuff that the coaches did then. And I mean, in terms of the way they spoke to you, mm-hmm. what they made you do in terms of cleaning. You know, I remember we'd, at the end of the day, big Dave Merriton, strapping six foot three, Geordie, powerful, intimidating guy, would run his finger across the top of a, a doorway, which I couldn't even reach on a pair of step ladders. And he'd get a bit of dust, and if he saw dust, he'd go. He'd make everyone strip back onto their kit, out onto the running track, and run. And at the time, you'd be like, oh, God, "Well, it's just a bit," but it was it was standards, setting standards. So you're right. We've we've feared away from that. The the, the thing that we're not allowed to clean boots now for me is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's a part of growing up. 
Is it? Is it? Is it banned? No, you can't ask them to do it. Or it's just not the done thing. It's not the done yeah. thing. Yeah, it's yeah. not the done thing. It, you know, I have my own views on on the academy system in terms of you know they start so young now. I think they start under six. Mm. Certainly start here at under six. Mm. But in terms of you know the apprentices or stroke these scholars now, first team, first year pros. Why couldn't we send them out into a warehouse for two weeks? Mm. Why not? Real life. Real life. I had to. I worked in a warehouse for yeah. 12 hours a day when I was in non-league. Yeah. And it, it made me see life from the other side. And it makes you appreciate what you've got there and then. Yeah. So why, why can't we send our 18-year-old into a warehouse and get him up at 6 in the morning, put him on a 12-hour shift, get him home at 6 at night, and then go and make him train on the Tuesday night for two hours? Get him doing that. Now, I'm not saying that would cure any of our problems but it would certainly make a grounding of our young pros appreciate what they've got because we're both talking about the system but you just finished on young pros as much as we'll criticise the young pros who are milk sops or who waste their money or don't appreciate their chance or flash cars how do they actually know any better unless they've got parents to teach them or that kind of experience to show them you're not born savvy yeah. and if you never give them that experience then how are they supposed to be a little bit more yeah. appreciative of, of their privileges yeah. you know I think we're doing them a disservice and also you know and, and I work here at a fantastic football club and you you know if you've got to walk around the facilities here they get given that from like under six and if they're good enough and they come through the whole system they know nothing different from yeah. training on Deso pitches, jacuzzi, swimming pools. You know, is that giving them the right kind of grounding? Now, you know, that's not anybody's, that's not Derby's fault, that's not the kids' fault, but... No, in an ideal system? world, no. it's right. I mean, yeah. you're, you're saying to them, we value you. Of course, We're going yeah. to take the best care of you. But the, 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 if there's supposed to be a yin and yang in life, we, we haven't given them the other part, exactly, have we? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then, the, for me, there needs to be a part of that. You know, a, another one of my... My theories or crazy theories is in terms of when these young lads do get rewarded with these massive contracts, why can't we have a system in place? Now, I understand it would take every chairman of every football club to, to agree to it. You know, up to 21, if you're on 60 grand a week at 20 year old, why can't you only give them 20 grand a week and put 40 into a trust till they're 21, till they're 22? Now, I know where the issues lie with that. You know, if I'm signing for A and they say, well, if you're going to do that, Team B is going to give us all that 60 we'll lump it all on straight you. away. So yeah. we're going to go there. So it would take the whole league of chairmen, et cetera, et cetera, to all agree to that. And if we could put something like that in a place, you know, if a kid can't live on 20 grand a week, a 20 year old, something's there's, a some, wrong. there's something wrong. You know, so why give them that 60 grand? We'll create our own problems. But unfortunately, that's the way we are. Is there a debate going on? Can, can we try and wrestle this back via the PFA, the Premier well, League? I don't, you I don't know, know. I've, I've said it for, for ages. You know, whenever I get out and get, we get asked, people always say, you know, what's the problem? Why are we not producing young players? Why, are we not, why is England not going on to do this and that? You know, it stems from a young age. You know, if we can put things in, in place to try and help these young players moving forward, then surely we've got to look at that. Well, now let me ask you, as we close, about um, the... The lesser stage, um, because you you were there when you chose to stop, and I am not hugely surprised that you still have that lingering feeling. If I really put my mind to it, I could probably still play professional football. And I think, to be honest with you, that I trust that instinct. Mm -hmm. But it's at there that you say stop, and I think it's good in many ways in that that must have been blinding to take them up 
one. And then, I mean, I live in Barcelona, so I could only watch as a witness from a distance. Staying up mm. in that first season, oh, yeah. it was kind of miraculous. What, what has Leicester been for you in that season of coming up and staying up? What, what were the things, the incidents, the turning points, mm. the happy memories, the things you did that, that made a difference in that sort of two-season period before you started Yeah, well, it, it, it was, you know, my time at Leicester was, was a massive roller coaster. It, was, it set me on my path to my coaching career to, today in terms of Nigel Pearson offering me a coaching role at the end of the season that we got promoted. I made the decision to, to retire at the end of that season. I felt that it was the right time in terms of because I'd been offered a coaching role in actual fact, Nigel wanted me to be a player coach. He said, I have no problems if you want to carry on playing, I'll give you another year in the Premier League. And in hindsight now, I wish I had have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I didn't do it was because I didn't want to do another pre-season. <laughs> but I ended up doing the pre-season anyway because I had to make numbers up. So, um, you know, I thought, yeah, at some point I've got to bring my career to an end and I thought it was the perfect opportunity. Promotion, walking into a coaching job in the Premier League. So that we report back that season and everyone's on a high, you know, the, the, the mentality is, you know, we want to go and put ourselves against the best players in, in the world. So we don't get off to the best start, you know, and I think we spent hours, us, me, Nigel, Craig Shakespeare, Steve Walsh, uh, Mike Stowell, the coaching staff, trying to pick a system, pick a team week in and week out to try and beat the team that we were playing on the Saturday. And I felt that we probably lost focus of what got us promoted the season before. The system that got us, well, we actually pissed the league. Yeah. With Vardy, Nugent up front, Drinkwater, James, Schlupp, um, Mares, you know, almost the same team. Not a million miles that went on to win the Premier League. Very close. Um, so I think we tried to pick a team to try and beat a Premier League team instead of probably saying that this is what got us promoted. Let's work on making ourselves even better with that system. Let them cope with us. Yeah, let them cope with us. So I think that's probably where we got it wrong. And it came a point where I think a lot of people had given up on us. It was tough. You know, when you're bottom of the Premier League and you're getting beat week in and week out, being in and around the training ground is awful. I've been relegated from the Premier League as a player three times, so I know exactly what it's like to be in a dressing room when things ain't going right. Mm. You know, just being around the area, it was very down. You know, confidence was very It's low. contagious, that, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. It's massive. Not just within the club, but the whole city. Yeah. Wherever you go, you, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, something had to happen. We had to try and come up with a solution, come up with a system. And we, we, I won't say we stumbled across it, but we just, in the end, we went with the five at the back, really. We went with the three, three four. Two, two, yeah, yeah, with two wing backs. Yeah. And we went for the Jeff Schlup as a left wing back and Mark Albrighton as a right wing back. Now, Mark Albrighton predominantly is a winger. Yeah. But his work rate and his energy allowed him to get up and down the pitch, same as Jeff Schlup. And we had Vasilevsky, Morgan and Hoof as our three centre-halves who were big, you know, strapping lads. And we thought, right, we've got to have a go. We want to get two strikers on the pitch because we need to score goals. We had Vardy and Nugent. And we just, it just happened. It just clicked played a game, we win, we started winning, and all of a sudden, people are going, hold on a minute, <laughs> Leicester are starting to win football matches, they may have an opportunity here of, of staying up. And it was just, it was incredible. The atmosphere just turned round like that. Although we were still, you know, rooted to the bottom of the Premier League, we started winning football matches, and all of a sudden, you could sense 
within the dressing room and the training ground that we've got a chance here. If we can keep these lads fit and we can work with them day in and day out and get them better, we'll have an opportunity of staying up. And when it came to the point where we had to, funny enough, go to Sunderland to get a point to stay in the Premier League, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And I think we still had two games left after that. We got there, we get a point and we survived. And for me, it's better than Brian Robson with West Brom the year they did it because we were at the bottom of the Premier League pretty much. It from, shouldn't have been possible. Yeah, from day one. And it was, it was just incredible. The adrenaline must have been fantastic. And then the things that we talked about at Sunderland, that feeling of bonding, yeah. that like, thou shalt not pass, we're in this together. That, that's the kind of thing that if you could bottle, you could sell, you'd be a billionaire. Oh, 100%. And for me, that is the re- one of the reasons why Leicester won the Premier League. And, mm. and I know for a fact, because I went down there many times and I spoke to a lot of them, they, they managed themselves in that dressing room. Although Ranieri did his bit and Craig Shakespeare in the background did an awful lot, ultimately those players got hold of each other. They would lock the door, because I was there for the first two months. There was times when they would lock the door and have it out amongst themselves. Lock it out, they'd come out, we'd be waiting, you know, set up on the training pitch. How'd it go? Yeah, it went well, and that was it. We didn't ask anything else. And you could tell that their team spirit, their togetherness, carried on from the season before. I'm an ambassador for the Dorothy Goodman School, where they take handicapped kids and give them, they aim high, they give them aspirations, they teach them, mm. they show them what they can still achieve and everybody there is mad on Leicester. And Liam DC, who's so involved in um, fundraising there, asked me to ask you, because he adores you, Liam, I can say that out loud, can't I? Ask Kevin about the Zimmer celebration at Bournemouth. <laughs> Kevin made such a huge difference that champion season. One of those true professionals who had so much time for fans. When he talked to the young kids, they listened intently, despite probably not knowing previously what he'd achieved. So, the Zimmer celebration? I, I don't yeah. remember seeing it. Yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, as you, as you get a bit older, what was I, I was 40 at the time. Um, and you get a little bit, you could hear people in the crowds, you know, when you're warming up, oh, Phillips, you old git, you, should be, you shouldn't be playing them or you're too old. And, and I used to love all that. Absolutely. You know, the banter's brilliant, you yeah, know, it's yeah, great. Yeah. And it, I would always hopefully let, you know, coming on a pitch and scoring a goal do the talking. As I said earlier, you know, action for me speaks louder than words. So, you know, I come on at Bournemouth, we're drawing the game. I think it was either nil-nil or 1-1. And Nigel said, get yourself on and get a goal. And I, I was like, what? Yeah, it's just simple as that. Yeah, I'll just go on and get a goal. Um, and I'd done it, you know, late on in my career, I spent a lot of time on the bench and coming on and scoring. And, I, and quite often I'd come on and get an important goal. And... I went on and I get a ball crossed in from Anthony Knockart from the right-hand side. And again, you know, being in the right place, as soon as it left its foot, I'm in the right position. I just thought, just get it on target. Try and get it on target. And I've edited it. It's keeper scrambling across. And it was one of those, was it over the line? Was it not over the line? Bournemouth players are saying it wasn't. I could see it clearly was, but the linesman was that side. And he had a lot of bodies. And thankfully, he gave the goal. So our supporters, you know, down at Bournemouth, as you come out, are in the far corner. And I've sprinted over and skid on me, lads on me. And as I've got up, I've given it the old Zimmer frame, one back to the... Back to the and they loved it, they absolutely loved it. And, you know, it cut, things went a bit mental after that because of what I did. I just thought, well, I didn't think about doing it. It was just a spare of the moment. So it was, um, it was great. It's, it's good, I like that. Now, this is the unmissable one because you have helped a maverick in Jamie Vardy. Now... Without betraying my sources, I've spoken to people who know him well and who've helped select him, um, who say that possibly he's a guy who needs blinkers and maybe doesn't feed on strategy and information and tactics. 
But undoubtedly, through playing with you and then being coached by you, I'd have to say that the difference between him as a championship player and then as a Premier League winning player, you, you can notice that there's been an evolution. Just give us a word picture of the Mustang, the wild Mustang known as Jamie Vardy. Difficult. <laughs> he can That's be a very, very difficult at times. Lunatic, enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, he was a, he's a good lad. Real What's difficulty good. now? Is, is it about rawness of personality and he kind of sees everything as black or white and, and I'm not listening? That, that was one of the biggest things for me um, when, when, you know, when I, I played, obviously, with Jamie. But as soon as I stepped onto that coaching side, you know, one of the biggest things I always and I found difficult, just for my own personal coaching career, mm. was, you know, when I'm, I know when I'm talking to someone, whether they're listening or not. Mm-hmm. And at times I thought, are you listening, Jamie, or not? Are you listening? But I think he gives that perception of, no, because he won't look at you, he'll be looking at... You know, he's quite hyperactive. He's very yeah. hyper. So he'd be looking at, yeah, 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 as if... I used to beat myself up thinking, he's not listening. Is he taking the piss out of me? Or is he... Uh-huh. He's not listening to me. But over time, because I used to talk to him about the Jimmy Greaves... Yeah. Because he was very much crash, bang, wallop, smashed everything. And in training, I used to say, Jamie, you've got... Try and pass it in the net. Pass it in the net. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think over time, it took such a long time, for, I think, for it to register. Now, I, I might be wrong... But I just, when I started watching his finishing in the, in the Premier League campaign, you know, the goals he scored where he started bending them in. If he got one-on-one, he wouldn't smash it down the middle. He would just slot it past the keeper. Now, whether that's the information that I try to give him, that we all try to give him, I think he's, he's not as daft as you seem. He's, he's not stupid. I think he actually took on board what we were trying to do. But he, he takes it on board in a different way. Two things come out of that from my point of view. And again, smack it down if it's, it's rubbish. That every process of... Educating is a two-way thing. So in having a difficult or difficult-ish pupil, he's taught you as a teacher, because you're about to assess, am I saying the right things? Is he not listening? Is any of this going in? Mm-hmm. And as soon as you reflect on any process of communication, you're presumably getting more aware, you're getting better. Yeah. So presumably that process has had a, an effect on you as a teacher. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's been, like you say, a two-way thing. But I think also what, what's helped Jamie as well as... Well as you know, Nugent, Ujawa, Okazaki, is, you know, I played with these guys for a few months as well. And I used to join in quite a lot in training. So not only are they learning from us having a discussion, they're also visually watching what I'm doing. Because I've only recently retired, so I've still got them instincts of what I'm doing finishing. And I'd quite often join in the training and the lads would be like, give us a clap because I've done something well. So I think they're actually, I think Jamie, Nugent and Ujawa and Okazaki... We're learning visually as well as learning. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, I get that. Talking to each other, so um, I think that's kind of. I think that kind of helped him as well. And one of the messages would be that you 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 can expect as a teacher, as a coach, I use that word no, not pejoratively. I think coaches are teachers. That learning won't be instant. Oh yeah. That it's an investment, mm. and that the frustration you feel about maybe somebody's manner or when you see them not applying what you've taught them instantly, that may not mean that it's not working. Yeah. Patience is massive. It is. It is. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned in my coaching career. I used, to, I used to get angry when I first started. Craig Shakespeare was brilliant to me. He said, listen, you've got your mannerisms, you're a calm guy. He said, don't let it affect you, your coaching. He said, because I can see it when I'm watching you, you're getting frustrated because what you're trying to tell them, they're not doing. He said, but you've got to be patient. 
And if it's still not working, what you have to do, the good coaches work out another way of trying to get them to learn. Now, mm. whether that's me, I'm still able to demo something. So I'm able to show them exactly what to do, where some coaches, you know, perhaps not physically able to do it. He said, find other ways of trying to get the best out of them. He said, but don't get frustrated. Have patience with them. We hope you enjoyed that slice of Kevin Phillips. For the full hour and a half, head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Sign up now, and as well as Kevin, you'll get Graham's exclusive chats with Rafa van der Vaart, Ledley King, Robbie Keane, and in just over a week's time, Jermaine Defoe. Every month, the deal gets better. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.